0: Hey everybody, thank you for listening to Swarfcast. Before we start, we have a quick favor to ask you. If you love the show, please rate it and write a review on your podcast app, or tell somebody about it. It really makes a difference for us and we'd appreciate it. Okay, on with the show.
1: One of our core values is automate everything. And a lot of people are like, what does that mean? And I literally mean it, automate everything. So I look to automate anything that basically takes your mind away from the key tasks at hand that need to be done.
0: This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graf. Today's podcast is part two of an interview we did with David Wynn, CFO of ABF Engineering and Machining, a third generation screw machine shop in South Fulton, Tennessee. Dave makes a lot of his profits on mechanical screw machines that are older than him, but he uses the most advanced technology to run his business. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graphpinkert.com. That's www.g-r-a-f-f-p-i-n-k-e-r-t.com. It sounds like you sounds like you have a lot of people who care. Yeah, you need people who care. You need driven people. You got
1: to have people that have some sort of drive inside them. They got to have, not only do they got to believe in the vision that you cast for your business, they got to have a vision for their own life. If you're dealing with people that have never thought about a vision for their own life, uh, they, they won't work in my system. They, they just don't, if they have never sat down and really thought, hey, look, this is what I want out of life. This is where I'm going. This is what I want to do. Um, They struggle in an environment like we've set up because my guys are pretty autonomous. Hmm. Uh, A lot of times they don't even see me. I just post the jobs on on the, you know, we've got our own system, but I just post the jobs. They know what they're supposed to do. I generally assign somebody that I plan on doing the job, but it's not a set thing either. I mean, they just change willing hilly. One guy will say, well, I'm doing that job today, and you can do this one, and they just swap up. So we, I just post the jobs up, the due dates, and they do them. We've got some metrics to measure things, and they know what metrics they're supposed to be hitting and how things are supposed to be done. And I do my best to communicate, you know, the math behind those metrics and why I see value in them and uh, just send them on their way. And and hopefully they perform. And And, you know, surprisingly, more often than not, The more power you give your people, the better they perform.
0: How many people work for you?
1: We've only got five besides family. We've got three family members and five employees.
0: Ah, interesting. What do the other family members do?
1: Uh, My wife does quality and uh, I manage the finances. And then my dad really doesn't do anything anymore. He's a full-time programmer. He writes software for us full-time and, uh, you know, for right now, my vision for myself is to transition to that role as well, where I'm writing software full time. And then, you know, my lead guys run in the shop and I don't really have that much to do with the day
0: to day. What do you mean? What do you mean writing, writing software? Uh,
1: He writes software for us internally full time. You know, we try to automate as much as possible via software. Every, every, uh, in my opinion, most companies are heavily weighted in the office. Um, there's too many office employees. We only have two, And, uh, you know, my ultimate goal is to have none. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but.
0: Oh, so so you are replacing yourself like what we were talking about before.
1: Yes, yes. And I don't know. I've set myself this crazy goal. And and, and if I say it on a podcast, then I guess I have to meet it. (laughs) But I I don't know if I'm going to hit it. But I've set this crazy goal to basically have eliminated myself by the end of this year, where I don't have to be part of the day to day. I know that I'm still even if I hit the goals that I've set for myself this year, I'm still going to have to be there at about one to one and a half days a week. But I'm shooting to be I still be there in the office um, to solve problems and stuff but to be off um day-to-day management of the business entirely by the end of this year and totally on working on the future of the business.
0: Right, right. You can work on growing it, but you can it can be sort of living without you.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, like we talked about before earlier is that um, the way I look at it is that if I could step off the face of the earth for 30 days and come back and it's like I never left that's perfection you know and I I actually would like to see more than that but right now I'd like to be able to just you know do that where I step off the face of the earth for 30 days I don't even think about the place and then come back and things are still running smooth and it's like I was there the whole time
0: wow and you've developed this system just based on various education you've had podcasts you've listened to books you've read I mean you you haven't had like um, a coach or a consultant come in?
1: Uh, no, it's just the culmination of, you know, my life things I've read. I read a lot of books. I'm an avid reader. I've listened to a lot of podcasts. I have several podcasts that I'm a weekly listener of. Swarfcast. (laughs) Yep. The Swarfcast. and, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of good information out there there's a lot of ways to better yourself audible which i've never actually listened to audible book but i have a lot of friends that do uh i tend to read the books and then listen to podcasts and i may have to give audible a shot one of these days
0: yeah i can give you some good recommendations i'm sure yeah it's it's amazing what it's able you know how much you can sponge up in the car
1: and it, it for me, it's just always been about, you know, and, and I go from genre to genre. So I have this rule and you know, a lot of people scoff at me when I say this, but I will not read fiction books. I will not read novels, will not read anything. I've been that way since I was a kid. I used to get in trouble in school because I always want to do my book report on a nonfiction book. And so I have to read something. It's got to be a biography, a business book. I mean, I'll even read manuals. I love reading the manuals to the machines and stuff. I mean, that that's what I get into. And I don't like, I feel like I'm wasting my time when I'm reading like a novel or a storybook. It doesn't work for me.
0: When you have your one and a half day work week, um, what are you going to do with other time?
1: Well, like I said before, my ultimate goal is to move into full um You know, I say software development, but basically, uh, I'm going to spend about half my time working on, um, customer relations, um, Building the partnerships with our customers—that's uh, one of the things that we've always done. This is something even my grandfather, and my dad did. It's just standard business practice that we try to partner with our customers. We do our best to serve them and do whatever we can for them, and, and you know offer services that maybe some other companies don't offer. Um, do things for them that you know would be maybe unexpected. You know, a lot of companies wouldn't do. Trying to get parts done in, in you know a, a day or two or stock parts that that you don't have blanket orders for. Just, you know, lots of things. Try to work in partnership and gr- create long-term relationships with customers. And so I want to spend about half my time doing that. And the other half of my time, I'm going to spend um, just purely trying to automate every task in the business. So uh, one of our core values is automate everything. And a lot of people are like, well, what does that mean? And I, and I literally mean it, automate everything. So I look to automate anything that basically takes your mind away from the key tasks at hand. I would love to do that, but it's painful. It's scary. I guess it can be. For me, it's not. It's just my natural tendency. I mean, I guess to some degree I've been that way since I was a kid. I always try to figure out how to make something automatic and, you know, uh, I, I got into many years ago, got into lighting control systems in homes and would, you know, write software and things to control the lighting and, and automatically turn the outside lights on and off and do this sort of thing. And then we're trying to do those same sorts of things in our business. You know, When they leave at night, all they got to do is hit one button and it turns everything off for them. It'll, you know, the relays hit all the lights, sets the air conditioning units to where they need to be. It sets the, uh, turns all any exhaust fans, anything else off and just everything's done with one click. And, that, and then, you know, the ultimate goal would be to eliminate the click. It detects when they leave the building. And so you, just, you keep trying to take that a step further.
0: Wow. You should come in and help me. <laughs> help us.
1: And, and I'm not all the way there on a lot of this stuff. You know, that's one of the things, too. I have this vision for all these things,
0: but it, it takes time. Right. It sounds like you have the vision. <laughs> Listeners, do you have an idea for a future episode of Swarfcast? Or is your company interested in advertising on the Swarfcast podcast? If so, please send us an email at swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. That's swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. Okay, I, I need to go back a little bit to the brown and sharp thing. What kind of parts are you making on these machines? Oh, man. It runs again. Pins or what? I mean... They're, these are simple parts, right? You're making them on simple machines. They're uh, commodity, commodity parts, right?
1: Not really. You know, um, in, in a lot of ways, um, I, I love my Swiss machines, and Swiss machines are great. But if I have a high production run with a close tolerance, I generally find it easier to hold it on a brownie than I do some of the modern equipment. Um, you know, <laughs> brown and sharp's a more rigid machine and uh they're built better uh, you know brown and sharp's built like a tank if you look at if you compare the ways on a brown and sharp to the ways on a modern cnc it, it's just mind-blowing the amount of meat there is there and how they work i mean you know a, a brown and sharp when you think about it steel on steel gliding on a thin layer of oil and a gib, and uh it, and so there's this, this ultimate rigid machine that doesn't move and if you you know I'll give you a, a throwback uh, uh, back in the day when we we would hold, you know, if somebody said plus or minus a tenth on a turn, uh, we wouldn't bat an eye on a box tool on a brown and sharp. That was, that's normal tolerance.
0: How much can you get for a, a brown and sharp part?
1: Uh, I guess that's a bit proprietary, but, I mean, you can get as much as you can get for a CNC part. It's just, uh,
0: you know. Well, I mean, I guess I I was trying to do some math with my dad before this interview. And, you know, I mean, the great thing about it is you you—you really don't have, you know, you don't owe any money on these machines. So, you know, you can afford to get 10 cents apart or 15 cents apart. You don't have to get $3 apart.
1: I guess that's all with you know, years of experience and understanding your customer and understanding their needs and understanding, you know, what a part is. Um, I I think that's a bit of our secret sauce. So I I won't get too detailed into that. But uh, I think in every one of the companies, especially in the PMPA, uh, the value and the reason why PMPA shop members have such, you know, higher metrics in general over the entire industry is because that, that's kind of all of our secret sauce is that we understand how parts need to be made. We understand the complexities that go into part manufacture and how to get the most value out of a part for our customer and for ourselves.
0: So your parts are not, you're not really competing with China or on these parts. I mean, I, I was, that's what I was picturing that these are, you know, simple parts, simple machine, simple parts. Now, nothing that we do on the brownies, I would say, is simple. And definitely
1: nothing, you know, is really China-worthy. It's a different universe there, too, with volumes and things. You know, our volumes tend to be smaller. Uh, I'd say that, you know, I'm good from 50 pieces to 250,000 pieces. And then even maybe not up to 250 on some different configurations of parts where a multi might swoop in and be better. But uh, the multi-spindle world, I'd say dependent on the complexity of the part, competes more with China because of the volumes because it, the shipping makes
0: sense. I see. So you're not running that high of volumes on the Brown and Sharps. I got you.
1: Yeah. Brown and Sharps, not really a volume machine, you know, Brown and Sharp is CNC before CNC was cool. That's, that's where you went when you needed, you know, 500 pieces of a bushing, you ran it on a Browning because it wasn't anything else to run it on.
0: Interesting. One more question. Uh, if you were in a different business, not in the machining business, because it seems like you're just good at business and you could do all kinds of things. What would you do?
1: Well, I guess if I did anything else, it would probably be something to do with software anymore. Um, Cause I've kind of, I was in love with software as a child and fell back in love with this and what my dad did growing up. And so, and he still does that today and that's what I fell in love with. But I, I'll be honest with you. Um, I just don't, you know, this got in my blood. My grandfather did this from the time he was 18 until he was 86, except for a short stint when he was in Korea. He did this his whole life. And it's just something that hits you. It's something that gets in your blood. Uh, My son's been raised up in this from the, you know, basically from the day he was born. He hadn't hardly missed a day of work. And uh, until he started school this year, he came to work with me every day I went. Wow and uh and he's only five but it's really it, it's just so cool to see how it's in his blood and his it, i'm not it's kind of weird to say because i'm in a machine shop i'm not very mechanically inclined i can set the machines up um i'm good at the machines but i'm far better at the engineering aspect and and figuring out how to run apart and feeds and speeds and the math side of it but my son Uh, at his age, as mechanically climbed as he is, it it just blows me away. The things that he understands and the things he takes apart and puts back together. And I'm thinking, I don't even know how to put that back together. So I I think he's got a bright future (laughs) in this and uh, hopefully, you know, he'll be carrying on. Uh, He's going to be fourth generation and I, it's, if things change, children change, but it's pretty amazing to me at his age, the love he 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 has for this business. He's five. And I mean it's all he ever talks about. It's this. And, and, you know, uh, he's also into antique engines. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with hit and miss engines, but, you know, old steam engines and and gas motors that used to power things. And, uh, and, and and that's like his two loves in life, you know, machining and and hit and miss motors, which they kind of go hand in hand, but it's pretty neat to see.
0: That is so interesting at five years old. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna to have to come and check your operation out sometime. It sounds very interesting, and it sounds like the Brown and Sharps are going to are here to stay for a while.
1: I don't see them going anywhere anytime soon. You know, it's um, like I said earlier. Wendy Rogers said, "Number two, Brown and Sharps, the most efficient machine ever made," and it's still it's still applicable to a lot of things. And there's still a lot of parts out there that the only machine that can make them cost efficiently as a brown and sharp because purchasing agents still want that brown and sharp price. And that's, you know, so hopefully they'll be here to stay for a long time.
0: Well, thank you so much, Dave. I look forward to talking to you more in the future.
1: Well, it was a pleasure. And, uh, you know, uh, I really enjoyed it and and I wish you a lot of luck on the podcast. I think it's really cool to have a podcast that's tailored toward this industry and and toward this type of topic and, and carrying on that legacy.
0: Great. Great. Have you listened to any yet?
1: So I'm gonna have to. I had never even heard of the podcast until you talked to me about it in Vegas. So I will have to fess up. I had never even heard of it, and I haven't I haven't listened to them yet. I was actually gonna pull one up this morning and uh, and listen to it on my way down to to the plater where I was heading, but uh, I didn't get a chance to. I had some other things happening and had to do some work on the way drive on the drive down. But
0: uh, I'll send you a few recommendations. Yeah,
1: send me a couple of recommendations. I'd like to you know listen to it and and then you know try to drive it on because I think it's neat to have something out there that that is tailored toward this industry and I'm going to recommend it to my guys on the floor as something to listen to and 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 pick up some of those interviews cuz I th- we need more people talking about this industry and bringing people to this industry because it's a great industry it's highly technological there's mm-hmm. a lot of great things going on in this industry and too many kids are getting pushed on to do other things. And there's a lot of kids getting pushed to college these days that don't need to go to college. They have no business going to college. They need to go to a tech school. They're going to make more money. I have a lot of friends that graduated with me that make less money than my machinists and, you know, got higher level degrees and they should have went to tech school and could be being a machinist.
0: Well, if you could go back Would you have gone the same path going, getting your MBA? You know, you know, what's funny is that
1: I I say I would now because the experience for me, I think uh, it helped formulate more of my business mind and helping me move forward with the things that I'm doing in business. But so I think the education was a benefit to me, but I actually went kicking and screaming. My dad forced me to go to college. I didn't want to go.
0: Interesting.
1: I was going to work in the business originally and then he sent me to college and that's when I got on the CFA path. I actually kind of, it pulled me away from the business for a while because I I became a member of the Financial Management Association.
0: Well, why did you want to do that? You just thought, oh, money, good? Uh,
1: It's it's in my blood. So that's what I was talking about earlier. I'm kind of a math nerd and um, I'm big into numbers. And then I had got into that and fell in love with that as far as, um, you know, understanding the mechanics of where the value comes in a company and understanding what creates value and, and, and how value is determined and all that. And, and that fascinated me. And that fits. It, it's kind of funny because that same mindset fits into what I do now with engineering jobs and quoting is that I'm doing the same thing. it's, it's, instead of valuing a company, I'm valuing a part. So I'm determining what the value of a part is. And so it's, it's kind of the same thing. And so I I guess it's, it's, it's my first love and it still is, it's just, it's kind of been flipped around into a different thing. Interesting. So I've always been interested in math and and business, you know, as a kid, um, in third grade, my teacher asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said, a millionaire. And she said, well, how are you going to be a millionaire? I said, I don't know and she goes well you got to have a plan you got to know what you're going to do and i said i just know that's what i want to do i said i like business i'll be a millionaire and that's all you know that's all i want to do and so I, it frustrated her to no end but still to this day um i love machining i love what i do but it was just the act of being in business the act of leading something doing something going somewhere and uh and like i said i don't see myself leaving machining but that i kind of always just knew that i wanted to be involved in something Um, you know, pushing something on, doing something bigger than myself, Um, you know, I guess it's kind of weird to talk about machining that way, but when you really think about all the places you know in our industry our parts go and all the things that affect our daily lives from plumbing to airplanes to the cars we drive, there's hardly anything we use on a daily basis that doesn't have a machine part in it. Uh, most every iPhone and tablet and, and laptop all has machine parts in it. And, and so we touch it every day. And so it's kind of cool when you think about what you do every day as you go out and you're affecting lives, you're affecting the end user in some form or fashion.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, When you feel that purpose that can fuel you it does i mean for you you are creating something sometimes i wonder myself am i really creating something or am i just uh buying something for one price and selling it for another yeah you know you could say oh i'm giving a piece of equipment to somebody that couldn't acquire it otherwise but you know there's a certain satisfaction, I'm sure, that comes from this came off this machine and this is going to go in X. So I can understand that.
1: You know, um, that's what really pulled me away from doing the financial analyst path is that when I left home to go home every night, uh, even if I didn't physically make the parts, which a lot of times at that time I was, but I could hold in my hand parts that either I directly made or I affected the manufacturer of at the end of the day. I mean, I could take that home and sit it on my table and be like, son, this is what I made today. And if I was an analyst, I mean, you know, I could say, yeah, I moved a billion dollars around today, but I mean, woohoo, what is that? And, and that, that's really what drove me home is that physical nature of being able to connect and touch and feel what I'm doing every day.